May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. For my entire life, I've been asking questions. I want the answers to the whys and the hows. I want to know and understand. I also love reading. As a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, one of my favorite pastimes was to randomly select a volume of our faux leather-bound set of World Book Encyclopedias and spend a lazy summer afternoon or a cozy winter's evening soaking in whatever knowledge I could about all things that start with the letter M or Q or my favorite, T. I enjoyed sharing my new discoveries with those around me, interesting bits of trivia about stars and planets, or maybe an obscure fact about ancient Rome. But unless I was working on a book report or writing a paper for school, simply acquiring information was rarely the goal. An answered question quite often opened the door to a whole slew of new unanswered questions. What about, what if, I wonder. I no longer have that old set of encyclopedias, but I still have a love of learning and a desire for understanding. I also now have the entire internet literally at my fingertips, which can be both a blessing and a curse, as it most definitely can satisfy my curiosity in a way world book never could, but it can just as easily lead me down a rabbit hole of trivial nonsense or entice me into watching, to ador watching adorable cat videos until 2 a.m., <laughs> which I did not do this morning. <laughs> Having grown up in church, I have read today's passage from the Gospel of Matthew many times and have heard it expounded upon from the pulpit more than once. In both of, most of those sermons, this particular text was presented simply as a lesson in being obedient to God by paying your taxes to the government and your tithe to the church. Honor the government and honor the church. Enough said. The end. Period. To be honest, as I read these few verses, I began to wonder if there was more to this than Jesus just encouraging us to be financially responsible, upstanding citizens. Verse 22 says the Pharisees plotted to entrap Jesus, backing him into a corner in an attempt to discredit his authority. I imagine they were feeling pretty smug in their belief that they were about to trip Jesus up and received the kudos that they were so surely due. But his answer left no room for argument. So they turned and walked away, defeated. What did Jesus say? Nothing earth-shattering, just common sense, good advice. Give to the emperor the things that belong to the emperor, and give to God the things that belong to God. Because of who I am, that one sentence gave me pause. And that little thought voice inside my head started asking, what about, 
What if, I wonder. It's easy for us to understand that the money imprinted with the image of Caesar belonged to Caesar. Because his government minted the coins, he got to decide how they were used, and he held the right to require a tax. He created the coin. It belonged to him. But what belongs to God? Of course, the easy answer is everything. Everything belongs to God. But what about, what if, I wonder, what bears God's image? Did you know that there are over 60 verses in the Bible that pertain to God as creator, as a person or thing that brings something into existence, the originator and designer of? I won't read all of the verses, but let me share with you a few of my favorites. Beginning in Genesis, we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And later in verse 26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Psalm 100 says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, and we, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah reminds us, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things are mine, says the Lord. In the New Testament, we're reminded in Ephesians that every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from our Father God. Colossians tells us, For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And finally in Revelation, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. So, here's the question I find myself asking at this point. If everything ultimately belongs to God, how do I, how can I, give it back to him? It all sounds well and good to say, but what does that mean in practice? What about, what if, I wonder... We all have possessions, things that belong to us personally, a car, a home, a bank account, great-grandma's credenza. Although we say they belong to us, first and foremost, they belong to God. How do I give these things back to him? It's not like I can box up my possession, these things I think I own, and FedEx them to God's front porch with a lovely thank you note attached. A starting point might be in the way I view these things that I call mine. How often do I consider that my car is something I'm given the use of, not only for my daily needs, to get where I need to go and do what I need to do, but is it possible that I could use it for someone else's needs, to help them get where they need to go and do what they need to do? My home. 
Is it only the place where I live and laugh and eat and sleep? Or is it open to others who might need peace or shelter? Do I see money as something primarily for my own use, or do I ask God how and where he wants it spent? These are certainly ways we can give to God. But of even greater importance than how we can use our possessions is the question of how we give our lives to God. How does one do that? Does giving my life mean I have to become a deacon or a priest or a bishop? Does it mean I only listen to Christian music in the car and never tune my radio to Led Zeppelin or Shania or Taylor Swift? Of course not. But giving ourselves to God does require something of us. I'd like to suggest that the words of our baptismal vows tell us ways we can do this. Now, the baptismal covenant starts on page 304 of your Book of Common Prayer, and you don't have to look it up right now, but just know it's there if you want to look later. For now, I want to remind you what our baptismal vow says in part. We vow to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And that is followed by, we strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. We give to God that which belongs to him every time we reaffirm these vows in action. That driver who just cut me off in heavy traffic, he belongs to and is dearly loved by God. Instead of choice words that I might hurl in his general direction, I can say a quick prayer for his safety. That's giving back to God. The cashier who was rude and unhelpful when I was just trying to pay for gas, she belongs to and is dearly loved by God. Instead of snapping back, I can give her a smile and a kind word. That's giving back to God. That neighbor who annoys me to no end with their fill-in-the-blank, constant complaining, arrogance, long, boring stories, whatever, they belong to and are dearly loved by God. Is there some way I can make them feel valued and heard instead of avoiding them at all costs? That's giving back to God. And what about myself? I can be my own worst critic, thinking that there is no way that God would want me. But instead, instead of self-criticism and guilt, I can humbly thank God for the life he has given me and ask him how he wants me to use it. That's giving back to God. Because the truth is, I belong to and am dearly loved by God. And my dear friend, so are you. Amen. Amen.